You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Hey, Lexicon of Sewers and Word Chefs, welcome to another Balticon bonus episode of The Melting Podcast. Not a lot of chatter, we're working really hard on getting the Patreon backer episode ready, so without any further ado, here's the panel. Well, yeah, here. You're, do you want to sit on a chair? No, we're good. Okay. okay. Well, then, when people... Your floor dollars. <laughs> <laughs> Put the chairs out, because this is what I had to do on... Oh, yesterday. Yeah. Or <laughs> well, this time we have the TV right at the beginning. Yeah. yeah. See? We're... we're, we're... <laughs> By Monday, we'll be dangerous. Yeah, I saw you poke in and then you walked out. I was like, where is she going? I'm like, oh no. Yeah, yeah. Like most of my seminars have been, yeah. I Nothing like a fire hazard. <laughs> I'll just dive out of the way. We'll just knock her over and trample her on our way out. Yeah, we've been there. There's a fire yeah, hazard. That works. Ted, you're not wearing red. How am I going to find you? Well, I have to change clothes once in a while. Oh, that's good. Well, I kind of appreciate that. And here's another seat. So. Is it 12? Or is it no? 11? 11, 11 to noon 20. Sorry, it's the second day of the con. Air. Let's sit over here. No, they won't get as good a view, but they get a seat. Okay. Yeah. Mm. Oh, this one. Oh, it does have to be called. Yay. Okay. I'm already hot. That was me. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm jumping. And now I see a hiding back there. Wow. All right. Well, this is good because everybody's actually fitting. We'll see if we get any latecomers. But yesterday, I had people in the in the middle. I had people sitting in the front. It was uh, it was good though because everybody was interested. But it was bad because everybody like there wasn't enough room. So, but welcome for your Sunday con day. Yay! Yay! <laughs> I'm uh, Maria B. <laughs> Not a lot of enthusiasm there. A little late night last night? Come on, it's noon. You should be awake by now. I'm awake, which is unusual for me at this time of day, because I'm a night writer, so I'll write to 4 or 5 a.m., and then I sleep to about noon 1. So getting up at, like, 9 o'clock was like, oh, really? Oh, actually, it's 11, isn't it? So, yeah. See, I'm not a morning person. So, and, but I'm, all right, so I'm Maria B. Snyder. Some of you know me. I see a couple familiar faces, and uh, some of you I didn't, aren't familiar with me, so I'm just going to give you a quick bio. Uh, I have 14 novels published. 11 of them are fantasy. Two of them are science fiction dystopian duology, and one is a middle grade novel that's just 
contemporary set in today's time. I know it was really strange. My characters had cell phones. Like, <laughs> shoot, you know, it's hard to put them in danger and everything when they can just call. Yeah. <laughs> Come pick us up. We're wet and we're tired. So uh, normally, I don't know where that one came from. I, I think that was for my son Luke because when he was little, he didn't like fantasy. I'm like, whose child is this? <laughs> he didn't come from my body. I'd be like, the male, maybe, maybe. No. Uh, that's a bad joke. Okay. <laughs> Continuing on. Um, so yeah, so my first novel, Poison Study, is fantasy. Won the Compton Crook here for Balticon ten years ago. So I've been ten years Balticon attendee or not participant actually. So I kind of consider this my home con. Um, but so so I'm here again and um, doing this. This is one of the classes that I teach. I also teach at Seton Hill University, not Seton Hall, Seton Hill. It's up near Pittsburgh, and they have an MFA program that is unique because they concentrate on writing popular fiction, meaning the Seton Hill people, we want like your horror writers, your science fiction writers, your fantasy, romance, uh, mystery writers. We don't want you literary snobs, okay? <laughs> you writing poetry, eh, eh, that's not us. That ain't us. Nice. Uh, but uh, I, but there's a ton, a ton of traditional MFA programs out there if that is what you are writing. Uh, there's nothing nothing wrong with that. And um, But it's a good program if you're looking for an MFA program, and it's low residency, which means you only have to be on campus twice a semester. Okay, so that's my commercial. Uh, there are seats, two seats up here, if you gentlemen would like to sit down, and one over here. <laughs> yeah, see? I don't know if you'll be able to see that screen as well, but don't worry. Okay, so that's me, and that's my commercial, and um, we'll get to it. So you're here to learn about how to write fantastic fight scenes. Fight scenes are really difficult to write. They, um, you need a combination of things to really make them work, and that's what we're going to talk about is a different combination and um, other things in general about fighting and about people who fight, and violence, and adrenaline, and all that fun stuff. Okay, uh, a little background. I do have experience in uh, Ishinru karate. I got all the way to a brown belt. Yay! Then I had kids. So, you know, life as I knew it was over. So I never did get that black belt. But I did, I did a lot of self-defense. I've done fencing. I've fought with weapons. I have friends that are experts, so... I have a lot of information. I had a police officer. I did this talk last week at uh, Penwriters, and I had a police detective in my room, which I didn't know, but he kept nodding at me and smiling, and I'm like, oh, cool, he's jiving with me, right? And he comes up later, and he says he's a Baltimore police detective. He handed me his card, and I'm like, okay, what did I get wrong? And he said nothing. I'm like, woo <laughs> uh, The only thing he wanted me to add is all the all the equipment they wear, like, you know, the bulletproof vests and the guns and everything, it weighs a ton. And, like, to be running around in the hot sun with that black Kevlar on, yeah. And I'm like, yeah, I had that in my notes, but we were running out of time. So, okay. So, your fight scene must be part of your story. Okay, that's one of the things. It's real, I know it's obvious, but it can't, you can't just throw it in there because it's cool. You know, it, it has to, there has to be a reason, and you need to know it. Maybe your reader doesn't know it, but you need to know it. So that's one of the general things I'm doing. And violence is the most, one of the most fundamental things that's kind of like hardwired into our brains. 
Now, what, what your character is willing to do and, and willing to, um, in a fight, can really reveal their personality. Okay? So remember that, because you might have them doing some really nasty stuff, but if their life isn't at danger, then why are they doing all that nasty stuff? You know, it, so that's one of the things that when you have a character fighting, you can really show their personality by what they're willing to do or not do. And the same elements that make up a good scene, okay, characterization, pacing, tension, and all that good stuff, also required in a fight scene. And I have what I call the Fantastic Four for fight scenes. It's, emo it's dialogue, description, inner dialogue, and emotions. And we're going to get to those Fantastic Four in a little bit. So, some general and more general information. A good fight scene doesn't have to detail every single movement of the fight. Okay, we don't really need a blow-by-blow blow for the entire fight. I mean, that gets just kind of boring after a while, and I haven't ever seen it done well. Uh, usually I get bored, and I'm like skimming through, yeah, 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 he punches, he kicks, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, usually you don't need to detail everything, but you do want to detail some of it because you want to show that your characters know what they're doing, or, on the opposite side, that your characters don't know what they're doing. Okay, because not everybody's been in a fight before, and when somebody's been in a fight for the very first time, you have no idea how you're going to react. No idea. Until it actually happens. So, it's a very interesting experience, let me tell you. Okay, so they, write, they range from a really gritty realistic to an entertaining fight. We are writing fiction, right? And we do want to entertain our readers. So to be actually completely accurate, yes, there's a seat right up here. Come sit I don't, I don't have any watermelons I'm smashing, so you're good. I'm just sitting on the floor. Okay. Um, okay, gritty realistic to entertaining. Okay, because you are entertaining. So yes, you can fudge a little bit. Okay, the, the um, fight scene police are not going to come out and say, oh no, this possibly can't happen, because usually their readers are going to suspend their disbelief a little bit. But if you go too much... Then there's going to be people like me that say, he don't know. He doesn't know what he's doing. I'm done. Not, if, the if I like the characters, then I'm still in. But, um, but I'll make fun of it in a future class. So I'm just saying that. <laughs> I'll use it as an example. But, uh, yeah, but the like, entertaining fight scenes, think of Pirates of the Caribbean, you know, where, where Captain Jack and Will, Will Turner is in there in the blacksmith shop, and they're up in the rafters, and they're doing all this stuff. And it's really ridiculous, because they wouldn't <laughs> expend that much energy doing some of the things they were doing. So, Princess Bride, that's another fight yeah, scene. Yes. Very beautifully choreographed, but very ridiculous in, in, in a um, realistic sense. But it's entertaining, and, and, and I say it, and everybody smiles. Like, yeah, I know that one, that's cool. And we're going to get to how, actually, that could be a benefit for some things. Uh, so, oh, TV, okay? Don't rely on TV shows for writing your fiction, your fight scenes. Okay, they're good for how, sometimes for how people move and use weapons. Now, on the Princess Bride fight scene, when I do this for Seton Hill, I have, I have video and I show that little scene there. But then I have three hours, so. But, um... When, when you watch that scene, there's some things that are inaccurate, but there's some things that are good. How they move, how they hold their, you know, they hold the foil, the fencing, well, it's a rapier, forward like this, and how they counterbalance with their hand. 
and you know the footwork that they do, you know, and they banter a little bit about Bernoulli's defense, you know, and stuff. Like that's that's good stuff because that's what somebody with a with a rapier is going to do. They're going to advance forward. Okay, it's not a swinging weapon. It's a poking. I'm going to poke holes in you, weapon. Okay, and it's a good weapon for when you're in a narrow space. Because if you have something like a broadsword or something bigger, you have to swing it. Well, you can't swing it if you're next to a wall or in a hallway or something. So you want to get that. You want to hope to have a rapier if you ever get attacked, attacked in a hallway. They're good for hallways like this. So, so, so movies can be good. Oh, I also have The Brotherhood of the Wolf. Because you probably, yeah, have seen that movie. Because I do this in like regular people. And they're like, what movie is that? Like, and they know Princess Bride, but just barely. Um, but yeah, the Brotherhood of the Wolf is a great bow fight scene with, with the bow staff, the five-foot staff. That's a great scene. I mean, it's, it's a bit ridiculous, but it's still a great scene. So that, And that would show you how it's, it's moved. If you've never worked with a bow staff before, that's a good movie to kind of really watch to see how, where his hands are on the staff how he's moving it around, like how, you know, keeps it close into the body. You know, my favorite move is when you shuffle in close between the legs and just go, Wah. <laughs> Some guys are like, yeah. I taught a fight uh, scene class where I actually got out weapons and let my students, we did mock fights, not mock fights, but I showed them how to swing things around. And two of the guys were standing there like this the whole time. Like, I was swinging stuff around. They were on the. They were standing against the wall like this. Um, but it was interesting because we got to have people go up against other people, and they could get a sense of how self-defense. I put self-defense moves in there, and all kinds of fun stuff. We have fun at Seton Hill. I can do this. I bring weapons to the college. I call them visual aids. <laughs> oh no, this halberd. Oh, it's just a visual aid. It's all for education. We did. We had a halberd. Boy, that class is very well behaved because I said, I got my friend Hal in the corner. <laughs> okay. I do segue into the stories. Okay. All right. Wait. Another thing you need to know as the author is why does this fight matter? Okay? What is the purpose of the fight? What are you trying to prove? What are you trying to do? Okay? Uh, with my poison study, I have an assassin as, a, as one of my characters. Well, when he fights, what's my purpose? Well, he's also one of the best swordsman knife fighters in that land. So i got to prove to the reader that he knows what he's doing. So I put him in situations where I can show him fighting because I need to show that he's, he's, he's good. He knows what he's doing, and that when I say he's, he's the best in the land... That, that does it, you know, and also to how does it contribute to the overall story of the plot? There's a seat up here if anybody oh. wants it. Uh, help yourself. Sure. Um, so, so that's things to consider. What does this fight do for the story? You know, what is it showing? Does it advance the plot? Does it show characterization? Again, I'm going to my assassin, right? It shows that he knows what he's doing and his fighting style. And, and what, what he does. He, basically, in this story, he has a, a challenge out. If you could beat him in a fight, then you can become his second-in-command. And he's a very high position. He's the security chief for the whole commander. It's a military dictatorship. And he's in charge, so a lot of people want to be his right-hand man. So if they can beat him in a fight, they get the job. So 
So I have a scene where he's fighting would-be applicants with different types of weapons, and he's doing really good, and then, then somebody advances on him with a knife, and the guy who's making a commentary about the fight goes, oh, bad idea, because, you know, knife fighting's his forte. And then I demonstrate how well he does with knives and, and everything. And I'll, I'll, I, I give that to my karate teacher. He loved his knives. We did knife fighting like every night. Like every time we were in there, we did some form of knife defense because he just loved them. So I, I, that was kind of a tribute to him and all his instruction because that's I do that really well. Okay. Why are the characters fighting? Okay, they need to know. Look inside the fight at the characters' motivations. What are they hoping to, to accomplish? Why are they engaged in this fight? You need to know this, why they're fighting. Uh, it's really important, both of them, you know, both, both opponents. And it could be, you know, if it's like they're jumping in for some reason or it's an assassination, you just, you just need that. And what do they hope to accomplish? Okay, the inside question. What is your goal for each fighter? What are they hoping to accomplish? You know, is it, are they just thieves hoping to accomplish... Um, Stealing something, or are they trying to save somebody? I mean, you need to know that. And not just because it's cool. Maybe they're drunk. They're drunk, that's right. That's a good reason. That's an acceptable reason, a lot of people. Uh, one of the books that I, I, I'll have at the end here, but I'll tell you about, since you said about drunk, is um, uh, Violence on Violence. Violence, a Writer's Guide by Rory Miller. And he's a guy that has been a correctional officer, police officer, and in the army. And he has a lot of experience with fights. And he said bar fights. He said that, that it's guys. It's always guys. They do this monkey dance. They do this monkey dance. They get very aggressive, and they kind of, like, glare at each other. And if one doesn't show, like, a submissive, like, yeah, I'll just let him go, then it can escalate. And he has all the steps to this monkey dance, like exactly out. So if you really want to write an authentic bar fight scene, you need to get this book. And it's ebook. And I'll have it at the end here. I'll have all the books that I mentioned during the course um, at the end. So, okay. So who? You need to know about your physical details of your character because they become very important when, when doing a, a fight scene. Okay, so consider the f following. Age, okay? Older person, sure, they're slower and they're not as physically fit, maybe, but they have lots of experience and they tend to be smarter. Uh, so that's something. So you, you, you get the young kid versus the older experienced fighter and it, it, it actually could be a pretty even matchup. I love it. I play volleyball and I play volleyball with a lot of older bald guys that are a little portly and the young bucks come and they look at us and they think all oh, easy win no because that bald guy who can't slam the ball hard like the young guy can slam the ball hard he can place it exactly where they're not he gets them every time they're just they struggled to return his balls and they come over just like a lollipop and the guys don't know what to do with it i love it every time i set him i'm not just sitting there waiting let's see <laughs> And then they're like scratching their heads at the end, like, how does that happen? You know? <laughs> Score. Okay. So, height. Height makes a difference, okay? Those tall people have an advantage because they got their long arms and their long legs. And, and they can keep somebody away from them. I found out when I spar, guys, if I'm starting to kick to the head, they don't like that. So they keep, they keep back and their, their blows aren't as strong because they know I can kick to the head. 
But but um, it, they there's an advantage. Height has an advantage because you 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 um, definitely have more. You know, you can keep your opponent away from the strike zones. There we go. That's what I wanted to say. But you know, if you're shorter, sometimes you're a little bit more flexible. You're a little bit more faster because you don't have as much mass to move. Uh, so that could be an advantage too. But just as something to consider, a build. Just because some guy has all the muscles like Arnold Schwarzenegger used to have, um, doesn't mean that they're going to be, they might be really strong, but they might not be as flexible, they might not be as fast. So that's something to consider. I uh, talked to a guy who tried out for the Army Rangers, and um, he, my nephew was interested in trying out for the Army Rangers. And uh, he said to my, he said, what about your nephew? Is he a big, big bulky guy, or is he a small, lean, scrappy guy? I said, he's a scrappy guy. He goes, he'll do fine. He says, it's those big muscly guys. They don't make it through the first week. Yeah, because there's a lot of mass that they're moving around. And these scrappy guys are not moving around near as much mass. So he didn't make it. He made it six, I think it's six or eight weeks of the training. And he fell out the very last week because he was so sleep deprived. He was trying to put dimes in, in, an, in a tree bark because he thought it was a vending machine. <laughs> he was sticking dimes in the bark of the tree because he wanted a Coke. But it wasn't coming out. And it like, they swooped in. You're done. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. So, interesting guy. He also teaches at Seton Hill, ex-New York Police Department detective. He's got a lot of... He does the mystery hardcore guys. They're all terrified of him. <laughs> Um, so, okay, strength, uh, again, how much strength do they have? You know, you got to take that into consideration. Um, you know, especially when, when you're looking at weapon choices, strength is important because if you pick up something like a broadsword and start swinging that sucker around, at, that gets heavy really fast. Okay, I went to a class where we picked up the broadsword and we learned how to swing it and stuff, and my arms were killing me. And, you know, just holding it, you know, you're like shaking like this. Well, that rapier is so much more, it's so lighter. And the fencing foil is even lighter still. That sucker is like nothing. It's like finger. You can hold it. So that's something to consider. So if you have some, uh, uh, usually, you know, hate to be sexist, but, you know, women are not as strong. So if they're picking up a broadsword and they're swinging it around, you know, they're going to fatigue a lot faster than some, some guy that's used to doing it. So that's something to consider. Speed, how fast they are, you know, again, with the jabs coming in doing a few moves and then being able to dance back out of range. That helps. Balance. Some people have better balance than other people. I mean, you saw on the Pirates of the Caribbean, they're up there balancing on the thing. I mean, I wouldn't waste my energy trying to balance and fight, you know, but that's me. Okay, endurance, too. You know, you've seen Rocky and all the training he does just for boxing, because those three-minute rounds are exhausting. You have to have a lot of endurance to go any amount of time. So that's one of the things. Flexibility, again, how flexible you are can make a difference. Like I used to be able to kick to the head. I don't know. I haven't had to do it lately. Because <laughs> the kids are so much more behaved now. Than <laughs> Actually, it doesn't help my, my son's six one. It's like, oh, I don't think I can kick to his head anymore. But I got him trained. Uh, but yeah. That's the thing of flexibility. I know, um, too, my karate teacher was teaching, uh, like, little moves that you could do to people to kind of, like, when you have the drunk uncle that you don't really want to hurt, but you want to kind of, like, be able to get. And he's like, well, this is one of the moves, and he does it on me, and I'm, like, standing there like this, and he's like, 
He's like, well, this would normally hurt a real person. <laughs> so I'm flexible enough that I can do this, but that's one of the ones moves that you could do to somebody, and then you can control them because it hurts, and they're like, you know, this. So, yeah, everybody's trying to, you know. <laughs> yeah. Don't rip any thumb muscles, please. Can you do it? Oh, yeah. Oh, there no, you I go. used to take jujitsu, and my instructor couldn't pin me because my, all my joints are more flexible than he was expecting. Right. So I could always wriggle out. You can always wriggle out. See, that's exactly the, that's exactly the thing with the flexibility because she's really flexible. So her, her teacher was having trouble with her. So that's good. Injuries. Remember, if you injure your characters, that this is going to hamper them in other fights. But it doesn't just magically go away unless you have a healer who can magically cure somebody, which is always a thing. But I read a book recently where the lady got some cracked ribs and yet, all the next days of the book, she was just happily going about her business without any mention of any kind of pain or limited, limited movement. All right, I had a guy um, in the Navy, he told me he got his ribs cracked, they were sparring, and he was just standing watch on deck. That's all he was doing was standing watch on deck. And of course, you know, you're on a ship, so it's moving a little bit, so he probably had to correct his balance. He said he was in the most excruciating pain just from a couple cracked ribs standing on deck. And here she was gallivanting around. So again, like you know, it is fiction. So you're going to have them do more stuff. Usually if they're in a fight, there's lots of stuff going on. But still, take that into consideration when you're writing your scenes. Okay, hair. Okay? And this is a little bit more for the ladies. But you know that long braid that some, some characters have, and then they say, oh, she whipped her braid around and she knocked the guy out? <laughs> I know, yeah. Uh, no. <laughs> Okay, if she whips her head around, it's most likely just going to smack herself in the face, is what it's going to do. But you got to consider that it might get in somebody's face, especially if you have longer hair. You know, it gets sweaty, and then next thing you know, it's in your eyes, and you can't see. People can grab it, and people will grab hair. Another, a friend of mine's correctional officer, she had to have her hair long enough that she could French braid it every day. And they French braided it because it lays flat on your head and so that the prisoners couldn't grab it like a ponytail. And that was required for her for her job. In fact, the only time she was allowed to have a shirt was she had chemotherapy and it fell out and then had to grow back in. So, But even then they were giving her a hard time about not having her hair secured. So, so that's just something to, to consider is hair. Uh, physical quirks, you know, just things like mis, mis flexibility over here, you know. She's really super limber, you know. Um, but things that people can do. I know that some people can dislodge their, sh on their shoulders and, uh, yeah, and things that, just think of that. <laughs> Clothing. All right, I'm sorry, high heels and a tight pencil skirt. No, not happening. Uh, that just drives me crazy. But uh, clothing should be loose enough to allow motion, but not too loose. If you have a lot of, a lot of material, it's going to get wrapped around your legs. It's going to impede your motion, uh, something like that. Uh, so that's something to be cautious about. Uh, and then sex of the character is also important. There are differences, and we're going to discuss that later. There are actual physical differences. Uh, training. If your characters had a lot of training and they go a fight and they do well in a fight, you're like, well, yeah. They had X number of years of training. They should know what they're doing. But if they haven't had any training and all of a sudden they're like this super ninja person, well, your readers are going to go, no, I'm not buying it. 
So training is really important. In Poison Study, my main character, she, just, she didn't know anything about what she was doing. But then I had her learn. And it took a while. And I did one of those scenes where, you know, if the flowers are blooming and then you, you know how they do it in the movies, the flowers are blooming and then all of a sudden there's autumn leaves and then there's snow. And then they're, yeah, is it a montage? Is that what it's called? Because they'll zoom in on one thing and then all of a sudden there's snow and you zoom out and it's like, now it's winter. So, but, so I could get her the training. My assassin didn't become an assassin overnight. He went to a school and studied for two, two years. You know, so things like that. So think of training. Experience, too. Experience really helps if they've been in a fight before. Like you said, you never know how you're going to be until you're in that situation. Intelligence. Okay, sometimes that helps in a fight to figure out a way to get out of it. Ruthlessness. This is important because what, what your character is willing to do to cause harm to another living creature. Okay. Some people can't inflict pain on other people when it comes down to it. They just can't do it. Uh, there is a lot. There are statistics that many women who are raped, a lot of times they don't do anything to defend themselves because they're afraid of hurting their attacker. And this is a documented thing. I'm not making this up. Okay? They, they just, it's, it's ingrained in them from birth. Um, it's just societal things that we just cannot overcome. So it's something to think about. How ruthless is your character? And is there a code of honor? Is there something that they just won't do no matter what? Uh, and also, too, like, you know, it, even if it's something as um, arcane as, like, a lot of men, when they're raised, you know, you don't hit women. That's just part of their, what they're raised at. It's just indoctrinated in their mind. So when it comes down to it, can they really hit, punch a lady? You know, that kind of thing. So that's their code of honor. Uh, and also social expectations. You mentioned that bar fight before. Okay, sometimes you wouldn't necessarily get in a fight, but if you have your friends goading you on, that's something, right? Tell you know, yeah, go for it, go for it. You're gonna take that, you're gonna take that. And a lot of times that's how bar fights escalate even more because the friends, the drunk friends, are goading everybody on. And also too, then of course the societal expectations. What are you willing to do? You know, when you're with certain people, or what are you willing to go? What's expected of you? A lot of times when people pick up guns that have been dropped or anything, they just can't fire it, even though they know that firing it might save their life. And I'm going to give you an example of that, something that you can look up online that's really um, a real-life example of that. Okay, so, and then there's pain tolerance, okay? Of course, the person who has a higher pain tolerance is going to, going to be in it for a long haul. And somebody who doesn't have a high pain tolerance might be like, oh, that hurts, and stop. You know, and you can use that, too, for... For um, <laughs> humor purposes, you know, all your scenes don't have to be super serious. You know, you can get, you can use the humor. Humor is always good. Okay, so just remember, you got to keep these details in mind when you're writing your fight scene. Okay, there's a lot to keep in mind on on your characters, and a lot that you can play off of and use. You know, because you can have an opponent that might not be as strong or as experienced, but they're smarter. So maybe they're able to figure out a way to do it. So, okay, so what? What kind of fighting are you going to have? You're going to have hand-to-hand? That's like grappling, martial arts, judo, wrestling, jiu-jitsu. Okay? The lethal aim is to cut off the air of an opponent by strangling or choking them to death. Isn't that fun? The non-lethal aim is just to pin the person down, preferably face down, because then um, if you're an officer, police officer, their aim is to get them down, face down, and then cuffed pretty quick. 
So, and I've seen that happen. That was kind of cool. Um, I was at a haunted house, and I guess some girl was giving the police officers trouble, so they, she ran away, and they chased her down, and they had her down and pinned and cuffed in, like, three seconds. I was, like, marveling. I'm like, wow. So, um, so that's something. Uh, striking. So hand grappling is more like grappling than wrestling. Striking is like boxing, kickboxing, karate. Aim is to deliver a blow to the head. can be either lethal or non-lethal, depending on the force and the intent. Mixed martial arts, MMA, styles like Krav Maga. Am I saying that right? Krav Maga. Combination of grappling and striking moves. Okay, the most three things that you need for an effective attack, speed, surprise, and intensity. And that's what those cops had, that girl. She's just running away thinking, oh, you know. But they tackled her. <laughs> and they, they got on her, like, right there. Like, they didn't, they didn't let up. So I thought that was interesting. All right, then you have your piercing weapons which are your, like, daggers and your pointed short swords and your little nasty-type stuff. Uh, forward motion things. Uh, good for in-close fighting. I know they had this nice little, neat little punch daggers. You ever hear the punch daggers that they put between their fingers? So when they punch, there's a nice little extra surprise for you uh, there. Uh, it's forward motion. It's good for when you're in close fighting, and, and you're not a lot of strength required for that because you're just poking with a sharp instrument. So, and I know knives also are cutting weapons, but they can be. They have a sharp tip. They can be uh, stabbing. And the one thing with the knife fighter, if somebody knows what they're doing with the knife fighter, they're going to be holding that knife back here, okay, in their backhand if they're facing you, and of course, the fighting stance, you don't, want to sh you don't want to have straight on. That's more target. You want to make your target smaller. But they're going to have their knife in the backhand here. So if somebody approaches you and they have their knife back here, oh boy, they know what they're doing. Okay? But if they're holding it out like this, they don't have a clue what they're doing. Or if they're trying to get you like this, they don't have a clue what they're doing. But back here, and with this hand out to kind of block anything, you know you're in trouble. I, did, I told you I did this class of weapons for writers up at Seton Hill, and I, I had rubber knives, and I asked for a volunteer to, to, so I could demonstrate a few knife moves, and he comes up, and he gets the knife, and then he settles in this position, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, seriously? No wonder he volunteered. He's a, bo he's a boxer. He trained mixed martial artists. He, like, he was like this kind of guy. <sighs> I'm like, seriously, John? I mean, you know all this stuff. Why are you even in this class? <laughs> to make me look bad. Now, actually, we, and then we got into it, which was probably not a good idea. <laughs> so now I always tease him. I always have my rubber knife. I'm like, watch what you do. All right, so cutting weapons, which is more like swords and things like that, okay? Um, they're a little bit different. Uh, you need a little bit more room to swing because you're cutting now, so you're, you're swinging it instead of going straight in. Uh, swords and bigger knives are more like that you would need a cutting weapon. Uh, I have a note here that Kevlar is really great for stopping bullets, but not exactly the best about a slashing weapon, slashing attacks. They're not made for that. So that's something to think about if you have somebody who's wearing like a Kevlar vest or something like that. So yeah, cut, cutting weapons are any kind of like machete or bowie knife or anything that's going to come in and slash. So, though a machete, it's interesting with a machete is the cutting motion is down because they're used for cutting things in the jungle. So when you're fighting with a machete, you're not swinging. 
you're chopping. So that's just something to consider. Because um, I have one of those, and it fits really nice in the hand, but the blade's down. <laughs> okay, so, and then there's the bashing weapons, which bashing weapon is, you know, just something big and heavy, and you can just knock into somebody, a mace or a warhammer or anything that somebody can grab that's heavy, you know, chairs, stools. That's all bashing weapons, and of course, the aim is just to crush somebody's skull, basically. Oh, the one of the knife, the one of the fun things is a trench knife. Anybody know what a trench knife is? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, aren't they cool? I want one of those. I have it on my Christmas wish list. <laughs> but these things are—they have a blade, right? So you get you get to point it, you get the stabbing, you get the cutting, and then it has like brass knuckles for the handle, so you get the punching, and then it has a little knob on the bottom that's this little hard knob that so that you can bash it on somebody's skull. Oh, cool. And it's made for in, it's called a trench knife because it's made for fighting in the trenches, yeah. So I was doing my research, I'm like, ooh, put one of those on my Christmas list. (laughs) All right, so then there's firearms. If you have firearms in your story, which some people do, uh, I'm not an expert on it. Like I said, my friend Judy, who's doing the horse talk later here, she's an expert on firearms. She has a walk in gun safe and I used to do shark shooting competitions. So, you know, shooting competitions. Uh, but she gave me she gave me some information about them. I know, like I said, people are reluctant to pull the trigger. Okay, they might pick up a gun and they might point it, but they just can't can't pull that trigger. Uh, it's just something, you know, it's harming another person. Uh, training is helpful for accuracy uh, because somebody who's never picked up a gun before is not going to be very accurate. Okay, remember that. Uh, they're not going to be a sharpshooter right away. Uh, New York Police Department statistics. The average trained officer under stress shoots worse than the average beginner not under stress. So think about that. Okay? When you're under stress, aim goes out the window. Okay? Uh, it's hard to hit a moving target. Officers are trained to aim at the torso because if the bad guy is shot in the arm, he can still advance on you. Okay? So that's what they're trained to do, to go for the torso. Um, and also, too, if you can't, those, goals, those guns in the holsters have safety straps now and all, and it takes a little bit to draw it. Well, somebody with a knife who's advancing pretty quick can get to somebody who's trying to pull a gun. So, and those people that carry their guns in their purses or their backpacks, oh, that's, that's pretty useless in any situation, because until you open it up and get it out, you know, um, we're thinking about going out west to one of the state parks there, and they said about the bear spray, to have it in hand, to like hike with the bear spray in your hand, because if you see a bear charging you, he's not going to wait while you fumble around in your backpack to pull this stuff, this out, you know? So, and I'm like, my husband, I'm like, yeah, I think might have a headache that day. Yeah, you go hiking. <laughs> safety, too. Yeah, and there's safeties on them. And some safeties are kind of complex. Like, like if you... Some have dual, yeah. Some have dual my, ones. My, my 45 has one on top, and then there's one built into the grip. Yeah. So the one, one you have to thumb off, and then you've also got to get it right up against your hand. Right, and somebody who wouldn't know, like me... If I wouldn't know that, I wouldn't know how to shoot that gun because I wouldn't know where the safety stuff was if it was yeah. on. So so think of that, too. So it sounds like some of you already know all this stuff, but I just 
This is stuff my friend Judy is a pet peeve with writers who write this stuff wrong. Guns are loud, okay? Silencers aren't silent. They do, they're called suppressors, suppressors yes. But they're also very loud. For one, Patricia Briggs in her Moon Called, finally, finally, she, shoot, she shot a gun and she then she couldn't hear anything for the next two or three minutes. And it was like, yeah, she got it right, you know? So, so that's what people who work with firearms or who know things uh, like it. Also to the barrels, okay, longer barrel, more accurate, snub nose, not accurate. And also to remember they get hot. Oh, I hate seeing it. They'll shoot on TV or whatever, and then they, they stick that pants. in their pants. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe they like it. Okay. That's, that would make a really funny scene. <laughs> a gun barrel, and then they, you know, oh, yeah, I got the bad guy. Stick it in and go, oh, my when they stick it right down the front and they're like, thugs. And they're like, yeah. And I'm just like, oh, what? And then they stick it in front of the pants. You know, they're not really shooting in Okay. All right. And also, too, hiding behind tables and walls don't necessarily guarantee you that you're not going to get shot. Because a big caliber bullet will go right through that, this wall, unless it hits a conduit or something, and you might be all right. I, I asked my friend, um, uh, like, where would you hide if somebody was shooting? She goes, behind structural supports, then again, hiding behind anything so the gunman can't see you is something. Yes. But if, if they're going to suit, like, if I'm going to put this table on the side and duck back here, somebody's going to put whole bullets in the table, it's going to get me. It's not going to stop the bullets, but I am out of sight. Um, so things like that. And also bulletproof vests used by police do not stop rifle bullets mm -hmm. unless they're in a 22 caliber, like I don't think I, that one, but uh, they're, they can also stop shotgun blasts depending upon if they're a poor quality vest or not. But bulletproof vests are for handguns mostly, not rifles. So a deer hunting rifle like a 30-06 can easily go through something like that or through most walls. You know, things like that. So, if you have a rifle, you go for a headshot. Headshot anyway, because, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, boy. I don't want to mess with these two ladies. Just take the text for a rifle. Yeah. Rifle marksman. Fun thing for, uh, for uh, law enforcement training is they'll actually practice shooting someone in the vest, then in the head, just in case yeah. the person mm -hmm. is wearing a vest. Ah, and okay. so uh, CBP trains that way, FBI trains that way, DEA trains that way, so the Law Enforcement Training Academy actually takes that into account. Takes into account, so right in the chest and then in the head. Good to know. Well, and conversely, you got to keep in mind when your armor is compromised once it's oh, yeah. hit oh, once or twice. It's no good anymore. It's no good, right. Yeah. You have to get a new one. Yeah, it's so like when you have the someone's got the armor, they're not just going to stand there taking it like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, good enough. I got a lot of experts. Good. Because this is not, obviously, firearms is not my thing. I don't think it's cheating. No, I like swords and knives because if you're going to kill somebody, you got to be up close and personal. But uh, one of the things with handguns, people forget, is if you are trained, the distances go up. My father, I'm, I'm great with a rifle. My father kicks butt with a pistol. He sights his cowboy, cowboy guns in at 100 feet. 100 feet. Yeah. And he can hit, you know, a silver uh -huh. dollar sized target. Right. Feet. Well, that's good, but has he ever done it when he's been under stress? He's that... action shooting. Yeah, he's got a fair amount of action shooting. So oh. he's, yeah. Okay, so he's one but of the original yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And we're going to get to that yeah. whole yeah. cocktail thing. Okay. 
Let's, let's see what time is it. We're good. All right, where? Okay, so just think of how big the area is also for your fight scene. This is all important. Um, you know, what are the boundaries? You know, what, you know, are the boundaries? Is there like a lake there? Is there a rushing molten lava right there? And, and you know, acid bath on the other side, you know, <laughs> things like that. I, that one Star Wars one where they're fighting next to the lava. I'm like, do you realize the toxic gases that are coming off that yeah. that magma and that's pouring out? Like, you'd be dead. Both of you'd be asphyxiated within, like, I don't know, I'll have three minutes. The force. Yeah, all the force <laughs> kept the air clean. They're yeah. not as mad as. It's Okay, yeah. Uh, okay, so also, what kind of op- obstacles are involved in your fight space? Like, if we were fighting in here, we have all these desks, we have chairs, people, you know, what kind of obstacles are there going? What kind of objects are close as hand? Like, you know, I'm, am I something I can grab? Maybe that to use as a weapon or something like that. So, um, that's great. Uh, so, the terrain. Okay, what is the terrain like? Is it hilly? Is it, you know, is it, is it grass? Uh, I think that's the next one for footing, because as important with footing, uh, something like grass is great to fight on until it gets wet. Then when it gets wet, it's slippery, okay? And then if you have, if it's really raining and there's mud, then you have all that mud to deal with. And, you know, mud, did anyone see the, uh, the race, what is it, the, uh, Greatness yeah, yeah. with the money track. Did you see the horses afterwards? Oh, yeah. yeah, did you yeah. see the jockeys had the, their goggles on? Their goggles were pretty much mud, yeah. mud covered. Yeah, so that's the same with fighting. You know, they get, get slick if you get mud on you and somebody grabs your arm. It's a lot easier to slide out if you're wet, you know? So, so that's and funning is important because if you if it's slick, you know, or if you're in the sand. You know, you're trying to push off in the sand, you know, it's a lot more effort to fight in the sand than it does on a nice level. Like, the rug would be pretty good right here. This is good footing. But you don't always get that ideal thing. So remember that when you're writing your scene. Also, the lighting. How light is it? How bright is it? You know, is the sun in somebody's eyes? Is it dark? Are they out fighting at night? You know, it's hard to see at night. Uh, there's a there's a instructor, Tim Mazzeus, at Seton Hill University, and he, his mentees, if they have like something going on at night, but they don't mention if there's moonlight or if there's a torch or a lantern light, he takes a black Sharpie and he just highlights with the black Sharpie. <laughs> and he's like, if, if it's dark, there's no moon, they can't, nobody can see this. And it makes a really good point. So now, even with me, I'm, I'm working on my 15th novel. I'm like making sure I mention something about moonlight or a torchlight, or something like that, if I have something going on at night, because I'm thinking of him blacking out my words, you know? So, so even for me, so think that that has to come into consideration. I know, you're like saying, well, what about, <laughs> we haven't gotten to how to fight seeds yet. We're getting there. Oh, and then the weather. The weather is also very important. Is it raining? Is it cold? You know, when it's cold, you know, numbness in your fingers and your feet makes it harder. Um, so, and also if it's really, really hot and they have like a bulletproof, you know, Kevlar on, that's a lot hot and sweaty and, you know, they're running upstairs. I like Ghostbusters, you know, they're all, yeah, let's charge the building. We're going to go get the bad guy. And then, and then you see them they're going up the steps and they're like this. And that's the best thing. And then they're like, oh, where, where are we at? And it's like somewhere in the teens. He goes, all right, tell me when we get to 20, I'm going to throw up. <laughs> okay, that's realistic. And it's funny, isn't it? 
But that's exactly because they're all like, yeah, let's charge them. Did you have a question? No. Okay. No, no, just... All right. So, so that's what you got to think of. Okay, and that's the terrain too. If they're on steps or something like that, no, or things. Okay. So degree, degree of grit. How gritty is your scene going to be? Well, it's going to depend on your genre mostly. You know, if you're writing like a serial killer, like a very police drama, that's going to be gritty. It's going to be realistic to the genre. But if you're writing something like romance or or like a like a cozy mystery. The degree of grit is not going to be very, very hardcore because the readers don't really read that genre for that. So, so that's something to, to think about. Uh, and it depends on the type of fight. You know, if you have a bar fight or a brawl, um, that's going to be a different kind of fight than if you have like a one-on-one -on -one duel. You know, that's definitely going to be a different thing. And it has different amount of grittiness. Like a duel is very... Um, Right. There's a lot of protocol with a duel. There's a lot of rules and things, and they're very like civilized when they kill each other. I think they said more men died in duels back in the day than they did in any of the wars or from any of the diseases. Like there's like a statistic, and I knew it at one point, but I don't know now. Do you know it? I don't know the statistic, but there's actually a, a treatise that was written around a contemporary of Shakespeare who was just complaining about the Revere because of the fact that it was killing so many of the soldiers in England because mm -hmm. they were dying in duels. And he made that exact same point, which is like, this, this weapon is good for nothing but killing our young men before they go to war. Right, right, yeah. They were all dying in duels, and they were, and it was... George yeah. Silver was the author. George Silver. Okay, that's good to know. Thank you. So, an ambush is also a different kind of fight, because usually it doesn't give the victim a chance, really. And when you're surprised, um, and that Rory Miller book that I mentioned, real accurate about that, you... You know, all your all your karate training goes out the window when somebody just jumps at you and jumps on you. Okay, assassination of course is different because it's usually at a distance, usually. But and a riot definitely if you're doing a riot or or something. So the degree of grit on how you're going to do it and how realistic basically how realistic do you want your scene to be? Okay, you got to think of your audience. How much violence? How much do you want to do put on that? Okay. Real also too. Real fights don't last long. Okay? They generally don't last long. They can be really brutal and really fast. Even even the guys with the sword fights, they don't usually last long. I saw um, uh, people, you know, the Society of Creative Anachronism, but I was in New Zealand and we had, they brought fighters in to do, like, with duels with swords and stuff, very accurate, and, like, within, like, 15 minutes, the one guy, 15 seconds, the guy was all red-faced and sweating and he was puffing, and he was somebody who did this regularly. And it was interesting to see how much sweating and grunting and all that these guys were doing. And the, the fights were only like 30 seconds, and they were like they were done. So, so just remember that. Okay, so now I'm just going to go over the psychological barriers, okay? We had that the survival stress response, which is fight, flight, or freeze, okay? Um, that's going to happen to your characters, okay? The freeze instinct is a big one. 80% of the population will freeze. It's a, a primitive response to danger. It's hardwired into us. It's back when we were we were prey on the on wherever where you know animals came and, and, and attacked us and things like that. 10% of the population will freak out, just go completely like crazy, and 10% are level-headed. They're the, the rare ones, the ones that can shoot accurately accurately under pressure. And the ones that can keep 
keep their heads. So, I mean, your character may be one of the 10%, right? Because we, our characters are always awesome. Awesome, yeah. Because yes. why do you want to read about somebody that's not awesome, right? But just you think that, keep that in mind. They usually will freeze, but you can break the freeze, okay? But freezing feels good. It's a warm, floaty feeling, and everyone, everything looks crystal clear. There's a roaring in your ears, like the ocean, suppressing all the other sounds. And you feel comfortable, and your thoughts are really clear. Wow, is that my blood? It's so red. That's cool. Like, you know, that kind of thing. Some frightened people will repeat the same act or say the same thing over and over, even when it's clearly not working. And this is the one I'm talking about. If you go to YouTube and you search for Officer Dink Heller, D-I-N-K, Heller, H-E-L-L-E-R. Okay, he has his gun drawn on a guy he pulled over. Um, I don't know why he pulled him over, but he has his gun drawn on this guy. And this guy is not armed at first, and he's telling him to freeze. But this guy isn't listening to him. So he's doing all this stuff, and the officer is going, freeze, freeze. And the guy's not listening, but that's, he's stuck. The officer is frozen. He keeps repeating the same thing over, freeze, freeze, freeze. Eventually, this, the guy gets his own weapon, takes it out, and shoots him and kills him. It's like he had plenty of chances to shoot this guy and, and, and save his life, but he didn't because he had frozen. And that's a really classic example of that. So that's something if you watch. It's not really graphic. It's just really sad. Um, so there's that reluctance to use violence. Yes, Ted. Um, training and experience, can you overcome that? Yes, training and experience will come to you break the freeze. So I don't know how much training experience he had with this kind of thing, but, but you can. But there will also be that initial freeze. But that's Rory Miller talks about that and how it works. Um, and also, too, the reluctance to use the violence, because, again, it's hard work. It's hard wired. We're here at the 1220, right? Okay. Yes. On that reluctance to use violence, it's actually, I talked to someone at the FBI Academy, apparently there's a high washout rate when it comes down to firearms, because there are people who just determine they can't pull the trigger. Ah. And so even people who think they have it, when it comes to crunch time, realize, no, they don't. They don't, right. And they don't know that until they get in that crunch time. That's a really good thing. So there's a high washout rate. I'm going to add that onto my stuff, because I, uh, I learned about this through people that I read about this one woman, Deborah Ann Davis, she was a rape victim. And when she opened the door, she knew that the person on the other side of her door was not a good person. And she knew that she should have just slammed the door shut and locked it right there and then. But to slam the door shut in his face would have been rude. And she can't be rude. So her, her being nice ended up getting her in trouble. And she knew in the back of her head that this was not a good situation and she should have just slammed the door. And, um, and I thought that was interesting uh, about that. And that, I've heard that statistic, too, that they don't want to hurt their attacker because it's just ingrained in you. And um, I kind of had a similar thing that wasn't as bad. I was in working on a Saturday, and somebody knocked on the door for a Saturday. And I opened it, and it was these two young guys that I didn't recognize. They didn't work in my building. I guess they were there to do maintenance. But I saw them, and I had my, I had my son with me because I was four. I brought him into the office and he crawled around while I got work done. And I just, in my instinct, I didn't know who they were. They were these young guys. 
and I just shut the door in their face. And I felt terrible for doing it. But I was just like, I'm not letting them into this building. I don't know who they are. And then so finally I called, somebody else was working, and I called the guy, and, and he's like, oh yeah, they're here to fix something. And I'm like, well, can you come over and let them in? Because I'm not letting them in. <laughs> so he was really good about it. Do you have a comment? Yeah, I, I think, um, if I remember correctly, for the stat, um, one, one out of three snipers can't pull a trigger. One out of three snipers. And uh, I had a uh, partner once, um, we were picked for a mission out, and we never did. But he said he couldn't be behind the rifle. But he could still call wind and wind and, and wind, uh, how to do it. But he, but he couldn't. He he would not be behind the rifle, which was weird because I was like, well, what, why did he go to school anyways? You know, why did he go to school? Why did school he go to, school? to be yeah. a yeah, but, yeah um, to be a marksman if yeah yeah if he um, couldn't do it. Interesting. Yeah. So he could he could be the, the, the caller, the yeah, spotter, yeah, the spotter. But he couldn't uh, pull the trigger. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So that's something to consider, especially if you have a scene. You know, it could make that work for you. If once you know it. Okay. So also remember that there's chemicals going through your body. Okay. Not only adrenaline, but there's hormones, there are neurotransmitters, and a whole various other chemicals into the bloodstream, creating various physical effects. Okay. That's that's um you get tunnel vision. Okay? Extraordinary clarity uh, in, in what you see. A sharp focus on what's directly in front of you, but complete blindness to anything on the sides. Uh, things can seem unnaturally clear and make things seem bigger and closer than they actually are. Uh, auditory exclusion, again, like that roaring in the ears or hearing just certain things as well. Blood is pulled to the center of your body, okay? And that's causing clumsiness. You can't feel your hands. So some people, when they pick up a weapon, they, they can't even pull the trigger because they can't feel their fingers. They can't feel their feet. You know, the blood, it gets numb. You know that lady that's running away from danger and then she trips over nothing and falls and you think, what a twit. <laughs> but actually, that's a thing because you can't feel your feet. So you're trying to run away, but you're tripping over your own feet because you can't feel them. And that's exactly what happens. Um, and you know why it happens? This is the coolest thing. It's because back in the day when animals used to attack us and chew on us, if you pull the blood away from the limbs, then there's a chance that you might not bleed to death while the animal's having a snack. Like, you might actually survive. That's a survival thing. Isn't that cool? Because animals used to chew on us. And now we're delicious. We're delicious, I know. So that, I never knew that. When I found that out, I thought it was cool, but... That's me. <laughs> when I tell this stuff to my kids, they don't, they don't appreciate the Okay. Uh, crystal clear, but irrelevant thoughts. You know, um, everything seems, goes in slow motion sometimes, or irrelevant things seem really important. Like you're in a fight or something and you're thinking, oh, you know, I really wanted to pick up my dry cleaning. <laughs> and, and stuff like that. Uh, also, too, um, some people get really stupid and stubborn. They really think they know what they should be doing when it's wrong. Like, I know people stress situations and they go in the wrong direction because they're it's convinced that this way is the way it's going to leave them the safety, and it doesn't, and you, you, can't, you can't convince them otherwise. So, things like that. Also, reduces compassion. Uh, a lot of times, women uh, who start getting on the adrenaline thing They'll get into it, and then all compassion goes out, and they turn, like, feral. They can get really, especially like the mother bear instinct. Mm -hmm. I know all about that. Um, so, so that's also a thing. And some people do get a short-term superpower that does happen. You know, they can do things, but just remember, 
when they get that short-term superpower, a lot of times it, um, it's clumsy and, and exhausting and they can injure themselves. You know, oh yeah, I'm going to pick up this car or I'm going to pick up the front of the car, but then they end up tearing their muscles in their arms or you know, hurting their back or something like that. So yes, they can do it, but don't think that they're going to come through fine at the end. And also, some can hit the zone. And that's where the level of adrenaline amps up your efficiency, but doesn't get to the stupidity or clumsiness. Okay, so that's hitting the zone. And it's, it, it does happen. It's very rare, but it does happen. So especially if they have a lot of experience in this kind of thing, they, can, they know what's going on, and they can kind of channel it a little bit. So if you have like a police officer or somebody who's a, you know, a regular fighter, I know like in, in, in a boxing ring, emotion and stuff is usually not good. It's not good to get angry or mad. You just, you know, go in and do your, trying to keep that emotional element out of it. But most people can't. I mean, I know I can't. I mean, that, but my husband, we, we play volleyball and I'll get, well, we'll get to the championship game and I'll be all nervous, my stomach, stomach and knots. I played volleyball for years and years and years. And he's like, why are you nervous? It's not going to help you play better. And I'm like, but I can't turn it off. And he's like a cyborg. He's like, oh, well. So, and we're going to get to that. Male versus female, quick. Physical differences, of course, there are. Um, men are taller, stronger, and have stronger bones. Women tend to have fragile bones, but females can have a lower center of gravity, better balance, and more flexibility. Like this flexible here. Aren't you glad you shared that with me? I'm going to be like all from years now. Hey, I'm Miss Flexible. That's all right, Ted the Reds. He's, he's, he's done too. Okay. Uh, so, psychological differences, okay? Generally, females are less aggressive and taught to avoid conflict, except in some cases where the mother protecting their child. And I'm not being sexist about this. Okay, I've trained in karate. I know with weapons and stuff. And I was with my, my teacher. And... I was saying about how being aggressive and being like, you know, being able to handle myself. And he started getting in my face. And he started kind of yelling at me and getting really aggressive and everything. And I, I wasn't quite sure what he was doing. And, and it was very disconcerting. Like my stomach started like getting really in knots and I was concerned. And he's just in my face and he's kind of yelling at me. And I stepped back and I looked down and he went, gotcha. And I'm like, he did get me. I, I got that, oh, I'm, not, I'm very uncomfortable, and I just want to go, and, I'm, and I look down. It's a very submissive thing to do, and I did look down. And it was like me, who was like, at the time, brown belt, like, come on, like 20 years ago. Uh, <laughs> so I'm like, yeah, yeah, when that came on, yeah, I felt it. So now I know what, you know, when he was doing that, I got a sense of how I felt. And hopefully next time that happens, I'll be able to overcome that that, that to look back, you know, type of thing. So, so that's just something that you got to remember. Um, also, too, stress response difference, differences. When the adrenaline kicks with guys, it kicks in right away. You get the shot, bam, right away. Something stressful happens, boom, you get it right away. Women don't get it right away. It takes a while to build up. Then once they get it, it also takes a while to wear off as well. Um, and when it wears off, you can be weak, wobbly, and weepy. <laughs> so, um, also response differences. Women will tend to try and talk their way out of it at first. Um, if untrained, they have a strong reflex to grab something to use as a weapon. Uh, and they'll use their hands to break free. You know, they will scratch and pull hair. Okay, that's just something that's, 
that they're going to go to. Men, untrained men are not big talkers and 10 will do the monkey dance, which I mentioned earlier about the whole monkey dance thing. So you can look that up on it. So now we're going to actually get to writing the scene. Sorry. <laughs> I know, it's all, but all this stuff is important to consider before you write the scene. Because um, if you don't know the answers to these questions and you don't know how your character is going to respond under stress, then you can't write the scene properly. All right, so the point of view. Are you writing inside of the fight versus outside the fight? Are you writing from the point of view of one of the fighters? Or are you writing from somebody who's watching the fight? Okay? Being a fighter is a good point of view because you're in the action. You know what the thoughts are going through the person's head. But if you're watching it, you can describe what's going on. And also, too, there's that element if you care. You know, if you care about if the point of view character cares, there's two people fighting and they care about this one person winning. You know, then there's that added emotion to what's going on and everything. So that's something. Word choice and pacing, definitely when you're doing things. You don't want to use too many technical words or medical terms for body parts, as some of the writers will do. They'll name muscles that nobody's ever heard of, like the trapezoid and the you know, triangle and whatever else those muscles are. <laughs> My scapula. My scapula. <laughs> Yeah, the hexagon. You know. <laughs> uh, you know, they'll be they'll start mentioning all these really technical, you know, body parts, and like nobody's unless you're a medical professional that you've never heard of. Like, oh yeah, he got jabbed at the trapezoid. <laughs> I don't know what is that. Uh, but, you know, basic things like the abdomen, you know, biceps. That's stuff people know. Forearms, fists. You know, don't be telling me about your metacarpals or whatever they're called. <laughs> You know, phalanges. Oh, I broke a phalange. <laughs> Seriously? Okay. Uh, so things like that. Uh, also, um, shorter words, shorter sentences, shorter paragraphs. We'll definitely do a faster pace. Definitely. Avoid linking words like and then and after. So that gets kind of like, oh, and then he did that, and then he did that, and then she did this, and afterwards they did this. You know, that just makes it uh, a little bit too much. As slow as the pace. Uh, use lots of verbs and not too many adjectives or adverbs. Um, past and present tense, definitely better than past perfect. Like if you're describing a fight that had happened, that's kind of clunky. Had happened. Um, also, too, you can use long rushing sentences. Because if you're in the middle of a fight, you know, it's kind of like, it'd be like sometimes a long rushing sentence would like really fit. Especially I found with like young adult books, you know, especially with the, that first person point of view, you get a little bit more leeway in your sentence structure because it's sort of like how somebody talks. So you can do that. So you mix it up a bit. Like you don't do all short, 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 short. You know, you mix it up a bit. All right, and now we're getting to the Fantastic Four. Okay? There's description, dialogue, inner dialogue, and emotions. These are the four elements that you need to have in a fight scene. And one of the things we do teach at Seton Hill that is that if you find a fight scene that you really like the way it's written, what you do is you take you do a template, like a template novel, you, you take this fight scene and then you just dissect it. Like, why is this fight scene so good? Why do I like this fight scene so much? And you want to look for these four elements, description, dialogue, inner dialogue, and emotion, and see how they're balanced. Because these four elements need to be pretty much equally balanced within, within it. So... Uh, your description. Okay, you don't need to detail every single strike and counter strike. I mean, after a while, that gets kind of, kind of, 
boring. I think it gets boring for the reader. I don't want to know, does this, does that. You know, I want to get a general sense that they're fighting what they're doing, and then, and then squid. I used to write my fight scenes a lot more details, but now I'm tending to do a little bit more, you know, a little bit less of the details. Like, I'll say he stroked, you know, he punched, and he, he blocked, and he sidestepped, and he kicked, but I won't give you exact motion for motion. Like, on my, one of my fight scenes in Poison Study, I have the whole, the whole thing where he has a knife, and she goes in tight, and she numb, you know, she does the palm heel strike to his arm, so the knife falls, and then she twists his hand up and has it over her shoulder, and then she breaks his, his, his arm over her shoulder. And I detail her stepping in to the side and her turning his thing and then doing it. But now I would say she would just come in and disarm him and then break his arm. Like I wouldn't detail every of the motions now. But I used to do that a little bit more. But uh, the details, so you don't need to detail, but when you do detail, they should be as accurate as possible. Okay, because we know what some of some of your readers are going to know, and the ones that know, if you don't, if you kick them out of the story, they're not going to be happy. Um, you know, you can't kick a person in the face when you're lying on the ground unless they're really leaning over you, and then you don't have a lot of strength. Try it. Lay on the ground. Try and kick up. Okay. Try and move a dead body by yourself. Just have a friend be a dead weight and try and move them. <laughs> it doesn't work. Okay. You have coworkers that are dead weights. <laughs> All right. Uh, you know, invite people over. Give them a bunch of rubber knives and say, here, let's try this out. You know, give them beer and pizza. They'll be happy. My kids, you know, hey, Luke, come here. <laughs> here, hold this. Oh, Mom. <laughs> All right, Mom, what do we do? <laughs> Look, I, got a, I got a beer mug, and you're going to stab it at me, and I'm going to see if I can catch it in a beer mug. It did work. <laughs> um... But, uh, oh, my daughter was not allowed. We told her she wasn't allowed to date till she had her black belt. <laughs> uh, so, okay. Uh, use all five senses, okay? When you're, in a, when you're writing a fight scene, okay, yes, physical, what's going on, punches, kicks, but there's also sounds. There's also smells. I mean, when you stab somebody, there's a smell there, depending on where you stab them, too. Like, you know, if you disembowel somebody, nobody ever mentions how horrible it smells. And also, brains have a smell when you, like, bash somebody's brains. And she's nodding. It is nasty. At biochemistry lab, we did something to help brains. It yeah. is nasty. Nasty, yeah. So, and again, that book, Rory's book, has a list of what things smell like. Sweet. Oh, yeah, sweet. Yeah, somebody knows here. I wouldn't mess with somebody over here either. <laughs> this is kind of scary. They teach in birthday classes as well for headaches. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so there's differences. A lot of you are knowledgeable. So put that in your, your put that knowledge in your fight scenes, you know? Give it that realistic thing. Okay? Um... Act it out, yes, uh, that's one of them, I jumped ahead, yes, act it out. Uh, I, one time, you know, if, even if you don't know anything about fighting, there will be a karate instructor or a fencer or a boxer in, that you know of or you can contact that will be more than happy to help you because they want you to get it right. So they will be more than happy. My daughter, when she was taking karate, and I, I wasn't anymore because she was dominating everything, but anyway, I would talk to her instructor and ask her questions about certain scenes I was kind of doing out because I had been a while since I did it. So she would help me out. She was more than happy to help me out. Um, and it's like, well, what do you look at? 
when you're fighting somebody? Do you look at the shoulders? Do you look at the, your eyes? And she said she looks at the hips. Because the hips will belie the motion before anything else. So I thought, well, that's a good thing to know. Yeah. yeah. Huh? They don't lie. They don't lie. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. No, not Shakira. Uh, but, um, yeah, so she was able to do that. And then, again, they're more than happy. Email me. Okay, I put bookmarks up here. I have my email address on them. Pick one up. Email me. I'll help you out. I had an author. She talked about somebody had her. Her protagonist by the throat behind and she had a knife in this hand and she went like this and stabbed the person and I'm like yeah but even if it's a long knife it's not gonna go in very far because you have this here I mean I would have shifted my weight this way and gone that way <laughs> but she had her going crossbody and I'm like there's not enough strength crossbody now you know and if somebody's in close, I'm not going to kick them because they're in close. I'm going to get no force. I might knee them, you know, do a knee strike. But I'm not going to be able to do a, like a, a side kick if somebody's standing right there. So I'm going to do something like elbow. I like it. My elbows are nice and sharp. Or my husband. <laughs> I'm going to use the elbow strike. So, yeah, so act it out. Um, and don't worry, you know, if your neighbors can see it. I don't have any problems in the neighborhood. <laughs> Swinging a machete around. <laughs> Actually, we had somebody busting. Must be a quiet Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> we had somebody busting light bulbs in our neighborhood, and it, 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 when they're the expensive ones, you know, those, those, they're busting them, and it, I'm the only one up at night, so I heard something. I grabbed my machete and I went outside. I'm like, okay, where's that little punk? <laughs> I didn't see the punk, but he didn't come back. <laughs> That's when it stopped. And um, though the police put a, I love this, I tell people this, the police put a camera in our bathroom. <laughs> yeah, because they kept targeting our neighbor, and they put a camera in our bathroom to go down to see the neighbors, because we could see the neighbors where the light was. So they put a camera in our bathroom, but it's so funny, you can tell people that. Yeah, the police came by, they put a camera in our bathroom. <laughs> somebody in the jaw his jaw's bones are hard people I would never punch anyone in the jaw if I'm gonna punch I'm gonna punch in the neck <laughs> okay or the nose that's soft yeah so so injuries take time to heal so remember that and don't need to detail every fight okay if you have an assassin or somebody who does a lot of fighting detail that first or second fight to show your, your readers that this character knows exactly what they're doing but then you don't need to detail the other fights as much. You can just say, she fought this other person and won because we already know she's a good fighter. But then when it becomes important again, you wanted to, to do it. And I, I got a book for you, The Empress Game. Empress Game by Rhonda Mason. Okay, she does a really good job because her character is a fighter and that's what she does. And she does a really good job of just showing certain fights and just not showing the other ones. Rhonda. Mason, M-A-S-O-N, Rhonda, the Empress Game. Empress, yes, Empress Game. It's a good book. Yeah, it's a science fiction, it's like a little space opera. It's, yeah, it is good. Um, Rhonda, Seton Hill graduate, just saying. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hey, he didn't go to Seton Hill. He backs me up, so. 
I'll give you the 20 later. Okay. <laughs> All right, so now dialogue. Okay, fighting takes effort. There's a reason boxers have three-minute rounds, okay? They can't go. And I have a question. Does anyone, how many rounds are in a boxing match? Does anyone know? Ten. Ten? So, well, it depends if you get knocked out, but if you make well, no, it to the... no, they agree to different lengths of... Olympics is only three. Oh, it's only three rounds in the Olympics? I think so. Oh. Okay. I was just curious how long a fight could go. Like, if it's ten rounds of three minutes a round, then that's yeah, 30 they, minutes of fighting. That's a long UFC time. UFC championship rounds are 25 minutes. That's the championship rounds. Oh, okay. And so that's like when people drag out of that. Most of them are 15 minutes. Okay. Minute rounds. Well, that's good. Well, you have a lot of knowledge. You should get your email. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, fighters won't have the breath to talk. Okay? So they're not going to have these long conversations while they're fighting. I always think that's so funny when they do that. I'm like, just start doing some punches and kicks and see how much breath you have left. Okay? They also, you want to limit, then if you do have dialogue, which you do need a little bit of dialogue, you probably short sentences uh, to what's going on. I mean, maybe before they get into the fight, they might be kind of like, you know, um, trash talking each other a little bit. But once they get into it, it gets quiet real fast. And, oh, that's fine. So, short sentences during the fight. <clears throat> See, would I have anything else here? Yeah, no. Okay. I got more on my notes. Okay, inner dialogue. That's the, the thoughts about the fight. That's your your character's inner thoughts. Now, again, you're not going to have a ton of these, but there can be things like, oh, crap, I should have just kept my mouth shut. <laughs> and, oh, my, he's just going to pound me right now. <laughs> things like that, that kind of internal thought. You know, also, too, you can... Um, you gotta what if you have too much inner dialogue, then you're gonna slow the whole fight down and they're thinking about something and it's a fight goes fast. So that's gonna slow your pace way down. And then when you get back to the fight, your reader might be like, oh that's right, they were fighting. Because we just went in this whole inner dialogue thing. So you know, you wanna avoid that. Okay. It's also too a way to restate the importance of your fight. Okay? So if if I don't if I don't win, you know, he's gonna trigger the bomb. Or if I don't stop this guy, he's going to go and do something or something like that. Or else, you know, if I don't stop this guy, he's going to kill me, <laughs> which is always a good reason to defend yourself. So, but there are ways to just remind your readers that of the importance of what's going on. And also keep it short to avoid slowing down the pace of the fight, which I talked about. Uh, and emotions is the last thing. Very important to have emotions in with your character, even from the hardcore street fighter, your assassin, Unless they are like a psycho, I think it's a psychopath that doesn't have any kind of emotions or any conscience. Is it a psychopath? Okay. Um, but yes, but if, if your character is a person that does not have emotions, then that's in that case, you're not going to have that in the fight scene. It's going to be very clinical, very logical kind of thing. But um, most people have emotions, you know, and, and if, if, you're, if your main character is not, has a just a mental illness, then then they're gonna they're gonna be scared. They're gonna be you know something. They're gonna have a reaction, and it's like fear, panic, and terror versus anger, rage, being out of control. Okay, they're different. Anger and fear are very different. And somebody fighting in, with fear is a lot different than somebody who's fighting when they're angry. And I think of my one dog we had growing up. She was a fear biter. If you got her cornered or something and she felt very uncomfortable, she would lash out and bite you, even though it was us, um, because she was just so afraid. 
And so you had to be really careful that you didn't get her in a situation where she was felt like she was afraid. And I know animals will do that. But anger is a different thing. Like, you know, the whole, the whole mother... Well, mothers can protect out of fear for their children, but they can also, out of anger... <laughs> I had a surfer. He was out there on a surfboard, and there was people in the water, right, where he was surfing. And my daughter was one of them. And he was surfing, like, close, like, aiming at her head. I'm like, what the heck? There's waves over here, buddy. Why aren't you over there? Well, I guess this is where that was breaking. I don't know. But when he came out of the water, I just about strangled him. I, I, I was, like, right there in his face yelling at him. And he's like, but this is where the... It's breaking. I'm like, yeah, this is where people are. He goes, oh, I was careful. And this is when my daughter pretended she no longer knew me. Who I was. She was playing in the water. Just, yeah, just ignore. She's swimming over here. I can see her out of the corner of my eye. But I, I lit into that guy, really, you know. I didn't, I wasn't physical, but come on. You don't start where there's people, right? I'm not crazy. Okay. Yeah. Don't forget. Yeah. It's a big ocean. He could have surfed over there. There was nobody over there. Okay. Don't forget that chemical cocktail is doing all kinds of things to your fighter senses, reflexes, and emotions. I mean, even if you just had them acknowledge it, like, oh, you know, that freeze thing, like, you know, that moment when it's like, oh, shit. You know, what, what do I do? And then training takes over, or something takes over, and then they break out of the freeze. But, you know, you might want to include that in it. Uh, especially if they're surprised. Most people who are surprised, you know, it gives them a minute before they can react. Unless, unless they're surprised a lot, and they've learned to react to the surprise. I had, you know, I think in Pink Panther, when he'd come in the house, you know, and he knew that the guy was going to attack him. Um, that's, that's one of the things. I had my karate teacher used to hide in the parking lot. So when I would come in, when I would drive in uh, to, to the thing and come out of my car, if I wasn't paying attention, he'd be right there on me. And he'd be like, oh, hello. He goes, you need to. So now, when I, then I started pulling in and it was like, you know, looking around. I'd get out of the car, slam the door. <laughs> And so he's made me very aware of what was going on uh, in a parking lot. So did you have a comment? Gunfire is one of the other things. I mean, I grew up on a range. I, I, I can tell a, gun a bomb fire. from a gun from a backfire. And I used to work with a lot of military people. We were sitting somewhere and jackhammers started going off. The restaurant like hit the floor. Mm-hmm. We're just there like, what? Yeah, yeah. you know the French rod. Yeah, because you knew, knew it was a jackhammer. Yeah, that's a good was, thing. That's a good thing. I like you. You have to. All right, so don't forget the men. So there's the books on fighting I mentioned. Okay? And I think I'm out of time. Right? Or am I not? You can't see? Okay, one is Writing the Fight Scenes by. Oh, thank you. Did I forget to bring my sheet? Yes. By Ray. R A Y N E. Paul. And it's the same title, but it's it's writing fight scenes by Marie Brennan. Uh, you know, they're both really good. I think Marie has a better better handle on things. Highly martial arts trained. Yes, she is. So Marie's really good, um, and they're like ebooks. They're like ninety nine cents a dollar. Not very expensive. And then Vi- Violence: A Writer's Guide by Rory Miller. That's the one I was talking about. He had a lot of good stuff in there that for realistics type of stuff that you can use. I mean, again, you're writing fiction, so feel free to fudge a little bit. And then he has facing violence, what people do, how they react in violent situations. 
And then there's an on-killing uh, by Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman. That's required reading. Yep. Yeah. On killing. Yeah. That's that's that's. What's the fourth one again? The fourth one is called facing violence. Facing violence. Yeah, and it's Rory Miller. I think if you just Google Rory Miller, he come. He has a bunch of books. And I read both of those. Are really good. Lieutenant Colonel Dave D A V E. Grossman. G R O S S M A N. Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Melting Podcast. Or you can email us themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it as long as you don't change it don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Rich Creek. Send us stuff!